Hi, welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is episode 18 in the book of Hebrews titled, The Earthly Tent Was Patterned After the Heavenly Tent, where we discuss Hebrews 8, verses 1 through 7. I'm Joel Harford, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, we're moving from the priesthood to the arena of the priesthood, the heavenly tent in chapter 8. Can you give us a brief overview of how this argument continues to develop? Yeah, I think what we've been saying in the in the book of Hebrews is that a superior mediator, Jesus, um, brings in a superior covenant uh, resulting in a superior life. And he's going to openly make the case for this. I think uh, Hebrews 8.6 may to some degree be the theme verse for the entire book of Hebrews, which it says the ministry Jesus has received as a superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator superior uh, to the old one. It's founded on better promises. So this is a superior mediator and he brings in that superior covenant. So when I keep saying that week after week, it's not like I made it up. It's coming right from Hebrews 8, 6. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, for the sake of our audience, I'm going to read the first seven verses of chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So starting in verse 1, he tells us, the author tells us straight up what his point is. The point we're saying is this, we have such a high priest. So Jesus has come, he's here, we finally have him. He's not like the old priests. But he says he's seated at the right hand of the majesty of the throne in heaven. What do you get out of this image of Jesus seated? Mm -hmm. It's a very powerful image, really. Um, and we were just talking about this, you and I, a moment ago, how it seems like there, was, there were no places for the Aaronic or Levitical priests to sit. They were constantly needing to offer animal sacrifice. It was endless. The, the endless repetition meant you, you didn't have any time off. And so there was no place to sit. The work was never finished. But with Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so this, the, the fact that he's seated shows the once-for-all finished aspect of his atoning sacrifice. It's a pretty yeah. beautiful image. The finished work. So that must be what he speaks of on the cross, right? It is yeah, finished. absolutely. That's a beautiful connection. Yeah, it is finished. So this, this is paid in full. The debt's paid in full. There's nothing that can be added to it. Now, the author calls Jesus a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So what is this true tent that the Lord set up? Yeah, this is one of these things where the author is just going into the invisible heavenly realms and t telling us mysteries and things that we would not know any other way. But there are indications. And so in Exodus 25 and verse 40, it says, uh, the scripture said, the Lord said to Moses, see to it that you make the tabernacle according to the pattern that I showed you on the mountain. And so it seems that Moses had some kind of a vision 
of the heavenly tabernacle that the earthly tent was just a copy and a shadow of. And so what the author's doing really here is pulling ranks. They don't tell me that that tabernacle came first and now Jesus is like a Johnny come lately or is coming later. No, no, no. It's the other way around. The heavenly image of the tabernacle was established in the heavenly realms by the hand of God before Moses ever made anything. So we've got this idea of a heavenly reality. And frankly, both the tent and the later temple were just copies and shadows of it. And it's interesting how the pattern was given to Moses in Exodus 25 for the tabernacle, the movable tent. And then you remember in the course of time, David settled in the city of David in Jerusalem, wanted to make a permanent place for the ark that it wouldn't be in a, in a tabernacle anymore. said he wanted to make something. And Nathan the prophet encouraged him, but then later came back with a word saying, it's not going to be you that'll build it, but your son will build it. And then beautifully in 1 Chronicles 28, he gives Solomon uh, in verse 11 and following, 11 and 12 and on in verse 19, he gives Solomon the plans for the temple. And then he says very plainly, I got all of this in writing from the hand of the Holy Spirit on me. And it was also itself a type or copy or shadow of the heavenly reality. So what the author is doing is he's saying the heavenly reality preceded and is far more significant than both the tent and the temple. Right. So let me just jump outside of Hebrews and ask this question. Why then did God set up the earthly tabernacle? Why not go straight to Christ? Why this drawn out history for, you know, hundreds, if not, and then thousand, over a thousand years, to two thousand years, when you consider the call of Abraham, why did God drag it out so long? Why didn't he bring Christ first? Well, I think it was to teach us. I think that, that we needed to learn the significance of who Jesus is, who he was. And, uh, you know, he's going to say in chapter 9, uh, verse 9, this is an illustration for the present time, or a, it's, it's a te teaching tool. Uh, so the animal sacrificial system was a teaching tool to teach us some important lessons. We'll talk about that more another time. But, you know, the fact is that it, it was to teach us uh, how our sins could be atoned for. And so he set up this centuries-long teaching tool uh, so that we would understand when Jesus finally came, when in the fullness of time, Galatians tells us, at the right time, when the human race had been indoctrinated and ready, now we can understand it. And so both the tabernacle and temple and all of the animal sacrificial system, all of that was a teaching tool to point toward the cross of Christ. Right. And we should have known it was a teaching tool back, even back then. He says in verse 7, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second, right? So they should have been looking for a second, knowing that it was not sufficient to make perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact is they, they knew in their hearts. David knew when he committed sin with Bathsheba and had her husband killed to cover it up. There was nothing animals could do to help him. The yeah. blood of bulls and goats could not take away his sin. He knew that. Could not clear the conscience of the worshiper, the book of Hebrews will tell us. They knew that there had to be something else. But then the prophets would tell them in Isaiah chapter 1, he says, stop all this animal blood. You're missing the point. You folks are completely wicked and, and all of these things. So they, they should have known that the old covenant was just a type and a shadow and, and it was pointing towards something better. Right. Now in verse 3 he says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. So if Jesus is a priest, he needs something to offer. But he says in verse 4, If he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. 
So why is it that Jesus is not fitting to be an earthly priest? He must be a heavenly priest. Right. The author went into this in that the combination of the office of king and priest was forbidden in the Mosaic uh, covenant, that they came from different different uh, lineage, different genealogy. One of them uh, from the, the tribe of Levi. He was a Levite and uh, from the sub subgroup of Aaron. And so also Jesus, as the king, was following the lineage of Judah, uh, the throne would not, or the scepter would not depart from Judah, and the subgroup of David. Uh, he was a son of David. So they're separate, and they could not be combined. So there had to be a new covenant. So if he were on earth, he could not have served. He would not have been a priest, but just a king. Now, it's in, interesting, this, the whole point in these, these seven verses here in Hebrews 8 is the superiority of Jesus' priestly ministry is shown by the location of where he does his ministering. He ministers... As we learned in the last chapter, such a high priest meets our needs. This is, I think, 726. He is exalted above the heavens. So he is not only in heaven, but he's actually above the heavens. He's at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Again, Psalm 110, sit at my right hand and there you'll do your priestly ministry. So Jesus is up in the, in, in the exalted regions, even beyond the heavenly regions. That's where the true tabernacle is, really is in the mind and character of God. It's not even so much of a location, but it really is in relationship to the purposes and plans of God. That's where he does his ministry. Right. Now he says in verse 5 that these priests, the Levitical priests, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. And then he explains the verse that you were talking about earlier, that when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Mm -hmm. So how was the earthly tent a copy and shadow of the heavenly things? Yeah, it's a mystery, and he's going to go into it a little in a little more detail in chapter 9 with, uh, with the, you know, the holy place and the most holy place and all of these sort of things. And he goes into some of it. He said there's more to learn. And I actually believe, and I'm writing a book right now in heaven, that we're going to be learning a lot of new things in heaven. You know, he, he doesn't even go into great detail in chapter 9. It's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll wait to heaven. I'll show you just all the symbolism and the details, the things that you would miss. But it was set up um, with the outer walls and inner walls and the, and the cordoned off areas and all that sort of stuff uh, to teach certain lessons. And so that pattern that Moses had that, that is laid out for us in the book of Exodus that tells us, you know, where those curtains would be and, and this is the holy place and this is the most holy place and all that. It was, a, it was a pattern that he had seen based on a heavenly reality. So that's what he's saying. All of these things were just a copy and a shadow. And that, again, points to the superiority of the new covenant. It's based on the real thing, based on the real tabernacle, set up not by humans but by God. And so he does say Jesus, Jesus Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better hmm. since it is enacted on better promises. Yeah. Can, so can you address the two things here? Um, one, what are the better promises? And two, how is the covenant better? Well, he's about to give us the better promises in the rest of chapter 8. So it's the promises come out from the book of Jeremiah. You know, the threefold promise. We'll talk about it, God willing, next time. But, you know, that... I will be their God and they will be my people. So that's relationship and I'll forgive their sins and remember their iniquities no more. And, um, you know, I'll write my laws in their minds and put them on their hearts. These are promises the old covenant could not do. So that's some of the better promises. But it's really the better promises are all summed up in, in eternal life, in, in, a, in an eternal 
relationship with God. All of the good stuff of salvation comes in the new covenant, comes in the work of Christ, not in the blood of bulls and goats. So it's enacted, it's founded on better promises. And I love how he compares it. It's like the ministry he has received is as superior as the place where he ministers is superior. That's infinitely above it. And so his ministry is infinitely above the Aaronic priesthood. It's just that much better. It's the same proportional distance, which is infinity. It's amazing when you look at it. So then could we say that the new covenant is infinitely better than the old covenant? Really so, really yeah. so. And the old covenant, was, was, it, it served a purpose. It, was, uh, it is called weak and useless, but it still was pure and holy and right. There was nothing wrong with it, but there was something wrong with us. And that's the, the whole thing. You know, it, Romans 8.3 says the same thing. There's nothing wrong with the law. There's something wrong with us. But the law couldn't make us holy. It couldn't make us perfect. It could only tell us what holiness and perfection looked like. But once we violated it, it could not make us holy or perfect or, or forgiven. Right. And the New Covenant, it is eternal. And there's a reference that's eluding me right now, but I know there's a reference where uh, the Scriptures talk about the blood of an eternal covenant. Yeah. So there's an eternal nature, uh, an infinite nature to the, to the New Covenant, whereas the Old was clearly... Yeah, temporal temporary. and it's gone yeah and we'll, we'll spend forever in that and i love the word new because it's going to come in, in in the book of revelation we got the the new heaven new earth and the new jerusalem and in the middle of all that we have the new covenant so it's it's permanent it's eternal so so the new covenant's here it's a better covenant it's superior it's eternal so the old covenant's passing away so can you take take us to act seven where stephen preaches just a phenomenal sermon and he gets this violent reaction from Jewish opposition. Uh, what insights was Stephen sharing there that we can draw on? Yeah, I mean, based on the accusations that they make at the end of chapter 6, Acts 6, uh, they're saying this fellow is saying that this Jesus is going to change the customs handed down to us from Moses and make this temple, destroy this temple, and make it obsolete. And uh, actually, I think that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Um, and Stephen, it seems, through the power of the Holy Spirit, saw it all before maybe almost anyone else. I mean, maybe even before Peter or any of the Jew Jewish believers at the time, for the animal sacrificial system was over. And so he started making it plain, and they could not handle that. Well, first of all, they were unbelievers. They weren't believers in Christ. It's hard enough for be the believers to handle believing Jews who trusted that Jesus was the Messiah, but to be told, yes, but now all the Mosaic regulations about animal sacrifice, the whole system is done. It's obsolete. That's hard to hear. It's true, but hard to hear. It seems that Stephen saw it before anyone else. And it said, this fellow says that this Jesus of Nazareth will change the customs handed down to us by Moses and will destroy this holy place. Yeah. And so uh, in Acts 7, to 48, he basically summarizes say look let's look where the tabernacle came from but you know the most high does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything you know and and that's what he's saying he's saying look god doesn't dwell in temples all right he dwells in the heavenly realms and he doesn't dwell in anything you make solomon knew that when he said will this golden box that i've made here on planet earth actually will god dwell in it heaven even the highest heavens can't contain him. Solomon, I think under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understood Jesus is exalted above the heavens. So there, there is nothing on earth. There's no box we could make. There's no cathedral. There's no magnificent brand new church building that could ever be worthy to house the living God. And so Stephen, I think, saw all of that. And he started to realize the real 
dwelling of God with humanity is going to be by the Spirit. It's going to be spiritual. And Paul said it in, in Ephesians 2, that we are a temple in which God dwells by His Spirit. The, the churches, you know, we, we redeemed people. But Jesus' ministry is superior. And what it meant was that that old covenant, that time had gone. It was done. Well, they couldn't handle it, and they just killed him. Yeah, it was very hard for them. They had this almost mystical view of the temple. You know, in Jeremiah, they, they think that Jerusalem can't be destroyed because they have the temple. Yeah. You know? Well, they had that, that view repeatedly. They had it in Jeremiah's day when they thought during in Jeremiah's day the temple was just about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. Jeremiah said it's going to happen. And they were trusting in the temple of the Lord, thinking God will never let us let Jerusalem be destroyed because the temple of the Lord is here. And they'd say it over and over like a mantra, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He told them, go to Shiloh and see what happened. In, in, in other words, in your mind, go back in time to the days of Eli the priest when the, when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. God has no problem letting the golden box be captured or destroyed because the true, the reality is in heaven and Jesus is the true mediator, the true high priest. Yeah. Do you have any final comments on these first seven verses? Obviously, there's a lot of New Covenant that we get into next podcast. Sure. Do you have any more? Yeah, just just pondering that Jesus, like it says in Hebrews 7.26, that Jesus is holy, blameless, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. It's hard to even picture in our minds, but the exaltation of Jesus. He is infinitely above us and that we should esteem him worship him as god and realize he is your mediator he is your priest and he's praying for you how secure should that make us how much should we celebrate his priestly ministry yeah amen well that was episode 18 in the book of hebrews please join us next time and we'll talk about the new covenant from hebrews 8 verses 8 through 13 in my view, these are some of the greatest verses in all of Scripture, so you do not want to miss them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification, and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.